0: This podcast is sponsored by the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth and their current exhibition, Mark Bradford: In Papers, on view now through August 9th, 2020. For more information on the show, visit themodern.org. Hello and welcome to Glass Tire. Uh, my name is Christina Reese. I'm the editor-in-chief of the site, and I am in Fort Worth today at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. And I'm here with uh, the curator, Michael Opping, and I'm here for a very special occasion. But first of all, Michael, hello. Hello. And would you introduce yourself for our audience? A lot of people know who you are already, of course, but...
1: Well, I'm, I'm now an independent curator living in Texas and California. And my most recent project is this Mark Bradford Papers show that's here at The Modern. So I, they gave me a chance to do an encore. Yeah. So I'm coming back. Right, right,
0: right. So you were here at the museum for 25 Five. years? 25 years. And you retired from that position how recently?
1: About two years ago. Right. A year and a half, two years ago.
0: Right. I've always been a big fan of your shows here. I mean, you, you you had such a tremendous command of this space in the Sando building. Beautiful, beautiful shows. So we're speaking because uh, a show that we're recording this before it opens. But a show that's about to open is a big Mark Bradford uh, exhibition. Mark Bradford is a Los Angeles-based artist, one of our, truly one of America's most acclaimed and rightfully so artists. Um, I'm crazy about him. I think a lot of Texans are crazy about him. And he's had some exhibitions here in Texas before. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you tell us, this show is called Mark Bradford in Papers, correct? Correct. Okay, so why don't you tell us about why this show and why now?
1: Well, let's first start. Uh, with what end papers mean. Right. And end papers, Mark essentially grew up in his mother's beauty salon in South Central Los Angeles. And he helped around the salon and he eventually became a hairdresser very early on, early teens. Um, end papers are the papers when you get a permanent wave and they are going to put curlers in your hair to create that curl, they wrap paper around your hair which does two things it it keeps the hair even so it doesn't clump up it also protects your hair from the heat under the dryer and they're slightly translucent and when mark was going to cal arts in valencia california a very well-known school uh, but very theoretically oriented he loved painting but he knew he couldn't just go out and buy some windsor newton and start painting on a canvas that seemed out of date,
0: right? It needed a conceptual bent.
1: Yes, it needed. He needed a new technology, and this was his technology. He he bought, and they were free. They were all over his mother's shop, right? The other thing that was all over his mother's shop were these hair dyes, yeah. you know. Um, and so he would he started making these paintings, and they're very beautiful. They are the paintings that launched his career. Yeah, that his I think the first of them. Really important ones were in a show called uh, Freestyle at the Studio Museum in Harlem. And, you know, I saw that show and it was wild. It had a lot of stuff in it. And the way I took the premise for the show was to show how diverse African-American art could be at that point in time, Mm -hmm. which we're talking about 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, And here was these paintings. Or they looked like paintings <laughs> they had this agnes martin-like feel very very gentle and and, and very uh, uh, nuanced and seductive And i thought this just doesn't fit the model of what i would think um, you know a young black artist would be doing mm-hmm. today and i got i met mark not too long after that and began to realize what he was doing with abstraction and what he was doing with it was leading us, well, if the early part of the 20th century was about the pathway into abstraction and purity, where we're at now is a new, and I think exciting path, out of abstraction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean abstraction won't be a part of the vocabulary, but it's an abstraction that's much more layered. These end papers I digress. These end papers were the beginning of what I call Mark's social papers. Right. You know, they were a way of saying, I'm making abstract paintings, but these materials are about me and where I come from. Mm -hmm. You know, I am a gay man, I was a hairdresser, and I like to make paintings.
0: And he calls them paintings.
1: He does call them paintings. And we
0: really call them paintings as well, but for our listeners who are not familiar with his work, he, he there's layer upon layer upon layer of generally it's it's some sort of paper, and within papers it is paper right uh, and there's and so some people would probably think of them as collage, and they're giant. I mean, they're right. they're often quite immersive. I mean, you get up to them and you can kind of sink into them. But um anyway, I just wanted to describe that a little bit. and, and it's
1: important that you do describe them um, because when you first see them from a distance, they do look, sort of like an Agnes Martin painting or a very gentle color field painting, but they are put on very meticulously. They're, you know, these end papers are only, as I said, an inch by two inches. So you put them down on a surface, whether it's a wall or a cloth backing or canvas, one by one. Yeah. You can't just throw them up right. expressionistically.
0: Right, it creates a, very, a, a grid-like uh, rhythmic pattern.
1: Exactly. And so there, there, there is a reference to minimalism there, mm-hmm. really, this unit-by-unit unit construction. Um, and then, you know, as you as he goes across the surface, he begins to add color. And in some cases, when he first did the early ones, he really did want, as you say, to create a kind of a grid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But because they're so translucent, you even the edge of the uh, end paper you couldn't really see any grid. You couldn't see a line. So he had this idea of getting a lighter, and he kind of burnt the ends of each one, which gave it a brown little line. An outline. An outline. And then he put them on and you started to see this loopy line. So
0: the the blowtorch or the lighter technique takes place before he even puts the paper down, this isn't something that happens after he's laid it out? That's interesting, I did not know that. Correct. Uh
1: And and that also began another kind of thinking with Mark about sort of, his process tends to be, let's make something that looks really interesting and then see if it says anything about me. Mm And he began to realize that this dark brown color on the edge of the end papers was the color of his skin. Which led him to thinking, okay, that, that's who I am too. And then of course, you know, as he, you know, years later, he starts finding papers outside of the studio. Right. Ads, uh, merchant posters. Right. And he brings them into the studio and he pastes those up yes. onto canvases and then tears part of them away so that when you look at again when you look at one of his later works they're giant you know if you look carefully if you at first it looks like a giant abstraction a giant gestural abstraction but if you look carefully you start to see words and and more information coming out mm-hmm, of the painting mm-hmm. so these i wanted to do a show of the end paper paintings because i think mark is at a point in his career, he's been making art for over two decades. And I think people expect him to come to a city or a town and make a giant show um, and create a kind of spectacle of wall reliefs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and And I think that those are great shows, but this is more of a historical show.
0: Right, so what is the oldest piece in the show versus what's the newest piece in the show? The
1: oldest piece in the show is 2001 Mm -hmm. the newest piece well interesting
0: um is he still working within papers i guess he is is,
1: but not nearly as much right but they're still a part right still a part and i end the show it, it really isn't in the show but at the very end of the show you go into a large room and there's a painting i bought from him for this museum uh 10 11 years ago the
0: really big one the really big one oh, and that, that
1: kind of lets you the end papers just are kind of a pathway to that mm-hmm. to this giant LA landscape layered with papers and by this time with Kingdom Day the name of the painting that we bought uh, that that has a billboard under it literally
0: oh really. And that's so what dictates that, the size again, of it. Again, paper. Right. So is, your, is the video, the museum owns a video. Right. It's the, it's the practice video, isn't it? It's the basketball video. Well,
1: we just the museum just bought another one. He had a show in um, in London this past fall, and it there's a new video, and they own it, and it's in this show. It's sort of an ancillary item. Right. And it's called Dancing in the Street. And it's a video of Martha and the Vandellas, singing the famous song dancing in the street and what he did was he got in a van and he had a a camera a projection camera with this performance by martha and the vandellas and he drives is like two three in the morning and he's driving down these empty streets and it's the image of martha and the vandellas all over these la surfaces oh wow um sort of the the surfaces that he took the paper off of he's now projecting Images back on to those surfaces, and it's not an paper work, so I don't consider it really part of the show. But I wanted it to be next to the show so you could see it because, you know, I mean, these these performers, and you know, uh, particularly these Detroit performers, they had great hair, <laughs> and the show is a lot about hair. You know, you want, he, we want you to think about hair when you're walking through the show.
0: And also Los Angeles, the city. And, the, and a lot of his works, his paintings have a... As you've already kind of mentioned this. There's almost a topographical or an aerial view kind of feeling uh, along with the Agnes Martin sort of feel that you're looking down on, uh, on on a map or an aerial view of a city. It could be New York, it could be Los Angeles. Obviously, we associate him with Los Angeles, but right. to have a kind of portrait of Los Angeles uh, in video, and this way it makes a lot of sense to me. And,
1: and the paintings, too. When you look at the paintings, you do need to look at the titles. So mm-hmm. he's, he's very influenced by Agnes Martin. And also, I think, because growing up in a beauty salon, I think m- many of his heroes are women.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Agnes Martin was a woman whose work he always respected. and, uh, and there's a And of course, Agnes moved away from the city to be on the mesas of, of uh, New Mexico, where it was very calm and, and peaceful. She did a famous series of prints called On a Clear Day, and they're really very beautiful, and uh, And the title is a beautiful title. Mm-hmm. One of the works in this show is a very blue, but with a grayish tint to it, uh, and it's called On a Clear Day, I Can See All the Way to Watts.
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: So he's, again, He's he's, He's re-engineering that kind of abstraction mm-hmm. to his specific place and point in time.
0: Oh, I love that. So these paintings came from all over. I assume you had to track them down and borrow them and from museums and private collections. And
1: Is that right? It was, that is correct. And it wasn't easy. Um, you know, when he was first showing these, you know, uh, He practically gave them away. Mm. But now he's Mark Bradford, quote-unquote, and these have become very valuable paintings. I I like in this show, when I first thought of doing this show, my thought was, this is, I'd like this to be like a show of Frank Stella's black paintings. Mm -hmm. You know, the paintings that launched the career. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, and what can we see? And
0: that is what this is. And that
1: is what, I I I hope people can take away from this what I took away from seeing the Frank Stella Black painting show, where you really see that is what this artist is about, even though his current paintings don't look much like what they look like in this show. um, It says something about the very nature of the process, where he's coming from, It's a lot about materials.
0: Talk about, let's talk a little bit more about materials. I realize in papers being the key to this one, but I mean, he's he, he refuses to use sort of the high and he doesn't buy paints through, uh, you know, paint service. He goes to Home Depot or he, he scavenges his stuff from the streets, he uses stuff out of the salon. How does that, what is, how does that play into his philosophy of his art making?
1: Well, I think it plays into his philosophy because of the types of material he uses. I also, when I was doing this show, was constructing a, a, a narrative of American art in my mind. And I've, I've often thought this, that the one thing that distinguishes American art is its materiality.
0: Mm.
1: You know, if you think about John Chamberlain's crushed car parts, if you think about Richard Serra's uh, steel, you know, he grew up near a boatyard.
0: And I and I think of Rauschenberg when I look at some of Mark Bradford's work.
1: Absolutely, and Rauschenberg was using the materials of his culture. Right. You know, so it isn't just about ideas; that the idea is embedded in the material, and in the case of the end paper paintings, it's deeply embedded into his early beginnings, and he loves working with material.
0: It's very physical, his work.
1: Very, and think about it though. Um, very physical doing someone's hair
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the process of doing hair there's an analogy between the process of doing someone's hair and making one of his paintings you start by washing it he uses a lot of water mm-hmm. in his work mm-hmm. um, and then you know you start by cutting it and then you color it and tone it And, you know, you go through it until you have a haircut. And
0: he'll sand into his work too, which is like the sculptural aspect of cutting into somebody's hair to create the shape that's going to ultimately emerge. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's all there, you know. Um, And someone argued with me that they didn't think that his experience in the beauty salon had any effect on his art. And I looked at him like they were nuts. Because it had all
0: Absolutely. of the effect
1: on his art. Wow! Know? Yeah. Uh, but you know, um, but I think if you look at Marx's work from an old-fashioned standpoint, that he's sort of mimicking or parodying Abstract Expressionism, then you're not going to get it. Right. He does appreciate Abstract Expressionism, and he appreciates the history of abstraction, and that's how he and I really got to know each other mm-hmm. uh, was through those discussions. But he. He does it through his very personal experience that I felt, you know, I'm an old white guy, you know, I'm an old white straight guy. And when people see Mark and I together on a stage, they wonder, how did that happen? Mm. You know, he's like tall, he, he's gay. Uh, and actually, that's what it's supposed to be about at right. the end of the day. But Right. But. Um,
0: you're from Southern California, however. I am, and and you've often worked with Southern California artists. You've true. been drawn to that for in your uh, that's true. And you're very well versed in it.
1: That's true, that's true. And I also think that um, I needed, you know, uh, coming to the end of my career, and a lot of my career, as you know, has been about abstraction,
0: mm-hmm.
1: about the study of abstraction. I was feeling like abstraction had really dried up that it had really come to the end of the line. And I found Mark, and I thought, aha, here's another rabbit hole that we can go down.
0: And those things are undeniable. Those paintings are so beautiful. They are. That I can see why it would wake up a new thing inside of you.
1: It did, And, and, and so we have this ability to go back and forth to talk about the formal and the contextual, which is what I hope people will see when they look at this show. I think what's going to happen, unfortunately, some of these things are so beautiful and subtle, they're just going to fall for that and not think about. But that's why I want the Dance in the Streets video in there.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's why
1: I want the Kingdom Day at the end of the show there.
0: do you think that that's an issue, though, for somebody who's coming at this without any real sense of his history or his biography to just, if they just respond to the paintings just viscerally as just absolutely beautiful objects?
1: There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's what I did the first time I saw them, mm-hmm. you know, but was, but was um, confused because my reference to African-American painting had always been that it had to have African-American imagery in it. And the reason I felt that, it it was that way a lot, at least the art I saw, but also it was the way that if you are an outsider, that's how you image yourself. You don't do an abstraction so that people don't know that you're black. White people can do that. Right. Because we, we just assume everybody's the same. But you know, I think it's interesting that um, that you have. I mean, you you do need to understand his background and and go into it to really appreciate um, the ethos of these paintings.
0: Well, so uh, we were talking about his years at CalArts Arts, and he was at CalArts in the not, late '80s, early '90s, the 90s, '90s, which was it was so theory heavy. Huge. And I would assume that he was learning at the time that painting wasn't really that important anymore certainly not abacs or anything right. like it what did i mean what did that experience of being at that school at that time what did what did that do t- for him or to him or with him or against him like what happened in spite of it or because of it in his work
1: i think that i think that going to cal arts you know and and there was a time here before cal arts where he went off to europe you know, before, the, I think there was a tipping point there with his family, his mother, and the beauty salon, whether he was going to continue in the family business as a hairdresser or he was going to go on to become an artist, because he was making paintings in the salon and, and, and this and that. And um, he went off to Europe, uh, partly during the AIDS crisis, when it wasn't it, it wasn't good to, you know, uh, to be gay in, in America right. during the AIDS crisis. In Europe, they were much more forward-thinking about all of it you know and, and he
0: was kind of toggling back and forth between working in his mom's salon and going off and spending months at a time in Europe in Europe uh, right. and, and then
1: when he came back he made the decision to become an artist and so he had seen abstract expressionism uh, and art informal and a lot of things in Europe that were you know by Art standards old school mm-hmm. and remember he came to cal arts he's a stubborn guy but and part of it may and it, the proof is in the fact that he came to cal arts he was 10 years older than everybody else there
0: that's right he was late
1: so he's a late bloomer and so but he's damn well he's going to do what he wanted to do mm-hmm. having said that you know i think the reading list of cal arts gave him a way of framing what he was doing it gave him a language a way of attaching a conceptual even if it's biographical framework to this formalist language mm-hmm. and then the key was how to mix them together
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to my mind that's where the layering comes from you know you just don't you just don't put writing on the wall i mean you can you know if you're joseph kosuth mm-hmm. but i mean at his point he wasn't just going to put writing on the wall and make that as art he wanted to make beautiful abstract paintings but how to make those abstract paintings meaningful to him and his background was what was important. So CalArts, I think, helped uh, sharpen that thinking. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, What is his relationship with uh, Los Angeles now?
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, he has an immense studio Mm -hmm. in LA now, Mm -hmm. uh, a different one than the first one I visited. And And uh, he's
0: really prolific.
1: He's very prolific. He works all the time. Mm -hmm. He has shows all over the world now. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: He, you know, a lot of these L.A. artists, you know, uh, who have become, you know, very well-known, whether it's Mark Bradford or Mark Grosjean or whoever, you know, uh, and I think it it happens in New York, too. Once they become, quote-unquote, famous they stop seeing each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they go off on their own. They have these large studios and they have to produce work. And so, but he's, he's very involved, and this is, this is a more important point. What I'm saying is he's, I don't, I don't know how involved he is in the LA art world, but I know that he's very, very involved in uh, the community of South Central Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So he has uh, started a foundation called Art and Practice which uh, brings foster children into a building, sometimes puts them up, offers lots of classes, um, and often these are foster children that are timing out. Right. So when you hit 18, you're on the street. Right. Well, he's trying to find a place for them to find themselves, you know, before, uh, be, you know, so that they can integrate themselves back in into things so he's really involved in that mm-hmm. and that's yet another layer yeah i mean it's not abstract though right it's very real right. but it's 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 behind the paintings you know now you do you have to know that to appreciate these paintings i don't think so no and uh and there's a whole other conversation that we can have and it's not today about you know, where artists are in the social scheme of things today. Right. Um, The result of the changing of the canon, Mm -hmm. when you have, you know, so many uh, uh, female and artists of color becoming so prominent right now. That's a very, it's a very exciting time, but it's a really interesting discussion.
0: And Uh, what's interesting about Mark Bradford in, in relationship to that discussion is that his work is subtle and beautiful and layered but it's also very political, and it's very biographical. I mean, that stuff is not left out of what he's doing. It's it's a part of it. It's part of its driver.
1: It totally. I mean, in the in the um, discussion with Mark
0: and history on, too. Sorry, just to and interrupt. History. Yeah, history, American history, and Black history. That's sorry, right. go ahead.
1: Well, you know the discussion uh, that Mark and I do on Tuesday. That will be a discussion between Mark and I, and a woman named Aunt Cleo, mm-hmm. who was a, a, a hairdresser in his mother's beauty salon, and Tina Knowles, who was also a hairdresser and who happens to be the mother of Beyonce.
0: And sure. she and she worked. Uh, she's worked primarily down in the kind of the Houston area. Right. Right. She lives in Houston. Right.
1: And and that's an you know when Mark. Mark and I did a discussion in London and and it was just he and I and I said you know I thought it was kind of flat Mark I mean it was like I was a straight man you did all the talking it you know and he goes well that's what we do I said well let's find a way to spice it up so he calls me he says well here's how we're gonna spice it up we're gonna invite Aunt Cleo
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're gonna invite Tina Knowles mm-hmm. and I um, and I said well that's a lot of spice and and uh, and uh, he said no it's going to be good and so again it's like his paintings
0: Mm -hmm. just layers Mm -hmm. for our listeners this uh this particular discussion that michael is talking about right now is going to be part of the tuesday evenings at the uh, at the modern series the discussion hasn't taken place yet as he and i are sitting here recording this but by the time you hear this podcast uh, you will be able to go back into the modern's website and listen to uh, this Tuesday evening lecture if you hadn't uh, already attended it. So, yeah, that's upcoming. Is there anything else we need to know about the show before it opens? Is it, are they installing it right now as you and I speak? We
1: are installing this it upstairs. This is why you're here, yeah. The couriers are taking them out of the crates. It's taking a little time. Um, and they come from all over the world. And,
0: and this is not his first rodeo in Texas, so to speak. He was here in 2011, 2012 for a show. His first
1: retrospective was at the Dallas Museum, as I
0: recall. Right, it traveled. Uh, it was the Wexner Center, I believe. Right. Uh, and Jeffrey Grove, I think, had a lot to do with that show. Mm-hmm. That was a retrospective. It's gonna be time for another retrospective uh, probably pretty soon.
1: Yeah, that was a while ago. That was nearly 10 years ago. That was ago. a while ago. Yeah. Um, and this is this show, I think, is just a little reprieve from those big, gigantic shows where you get more of an intimate glimpse of the early, sort of, uh, the baby Mark Bradford. Yeah. Who would become the big Mark Bradford.
0: When did it occur to you to do this show?
1: You know, after I got to know Mark and attended a lot of his shows and started thinking about what would I want to do after I retired? Are there any interesting projects that haven't been done that I could do? Knowing that I live half-time in LA and trying to re-engage with LA artists. So, you know, I was visiting with uh, John Baldessari and Ed Ruscha and I was going to Mark Bradford's studio and I thought this would be a show, this Bradford and Paper show, that people won't have seen. Some of them will have seen one or two of them, but they don't quite appreciate, I'm sure, how critical they were in like a four or five year period
0: uh, mm-hmm. of his
1: art. Mm-hmm. So, How uh, many
0: paintings will there be?
1: I think there's 40, 40 or 45. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, it, there's that's a number big. of them. Yeah. Um, Is
0: it traveling? No. Did you no. want it to?
1: No, I did not. Other people suggested it and... Um, uh, I'm over traveling shows. It's just a pain. Mm. I just want to do that's it. That's another conversation. Do, yeah, it's it, another yeah. conversation. <laughs> do it once. Do it right. Get out of town, you know. Um, so, no, you have to come here to see it. Okay. and It'll be worth it. And I had also thought, when I first came up with this idea, a number of people said, well, we would be happy to do that show. And I thought, where would this show look best?
0: Uh-huh. In
1: those light-filled galleries at the modern. Mm-hmm. You know, the big spectacle shows can look good anywhere because you're basically covering the architecture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This show is going to look, this show is just going to sing. It's going to be like a quiet little chorus. throughout the galleries.
0: Oh, it's gonna be beautiful. And uh, part of that obviously is the work itself. These are beautiful, beautiful paintings. And part of this is because you know how to hang shows in those spaces. In these spaces, I do. Absolutely. Oh, wow, that's exciting. Well, congratulations or break a leg or whatever we're meant to say while the show is being installed. And uh, again, for our listeners, the show opens on March 8th at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. And uh, I'm not sure how long it's going to be up, but I assume it's going to be up for through the summer, all the way through the summer. That is terrific. So for everyone who's traveling over the course of the summer, they also have a chance to see this show. Well, thank you so much, Michael Opping. Thank you for uh, for meeting me today. And uh, we're looking forward to the show. If you enjoyed this conversation, then check out the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth's exhibition of Mark Bradford's work, curated by Michael Opping. The show, Mark Bradford in Papers, is on view now through August 9th, 2020. For more information, visit themodern.org.